brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What up, y'all? Welcome to episode 295 of the Mind Body Musings podcast. We're speaking today about psychedelics as medicine, using psychedelics in a therapeutic sense. Haven't talked about this in the podcast before. Very excited to be bringing to you an expert on the matter, Will Sue, who is an MD. And a DPhil. I don't know what a DPhil is, but he's a DPhil. He completed medical and graduate school at UCLA and Oxford University, respectively, before training as a psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School. He was on the faculty at Harvard for two years prior to moving to New York City to further pursue his interests in psychedelic medicine as a practitioner and public advocate through speaking, writing, and social media. Dr. Sue has been trained by MAPS to provide MDMA-assisted therapy and has a private practice in Los Angeles where he provides individual psychotherapy and ketamine-facilitated psychotherapy. We did this interview here in New York City together in person. Um, Will is such a warming soul. And fun fact, he is in the new series on Netflix called Goop episode one. So if you watch that and they're talking a lot about um, using these kind of psychedelics as medicine, you'll see him speaking with another gentleman about the profound effects of this, especially around like the MDMA, which I think is fascinating on how MDMA is actually something, a tool that, that we've been using, we, like we, am I included in this, that doctors have been using to help people uh, with PTSD coming back from the war and from other events in their life as a, a method for healing. So we've got a really exciting interview today. This is a, a new category for the Mind Body Musings podcast, but it's something that I myself am personally getting more and more interested in. And Another fun fact is that I want to get this episode ready to go, lined up, already in the queue. So I'm recording this intro now rather than waiting, but I am about to be doing a plant medicine journey this upcoming weekend. By the time you are listening to this, I've already had it. So um, I will be I will be interested in, in what, what I'm going to be like in one week because I will be doing it this weekend and perhaps I will be doing a follow-up episode on a plant medicine journey that I go on. And to be clear, I've gone on a plant medicine journey before. In today's episode, we're talking more about MDMA and we're talking about mushrooms, but we also just touched briefly on ayahuasca and the experience I have had doing ayahuasca has not been a very positive experience, which is why I have been hesitant to come on the podcast and speak my truth around it because I didn't feel that I I had enough experience with it to give my opinions and revelations and a, a well-rounded view on my thoughts on it. 
because the way I went into it was not the way that I personally need to do ayahuasca. So I'm having the experience that I know is much better for me. Well, when I say experience, I mean, I'm having the atmosphere and the situation and the timing, all of those logistical pieces are much more for me this time, aka the masculine, the masculine structure feels more aligned with how I work as a human. So I'm really looking forward to my feminine revelations to come forward you know the the tighter the the container is the deeper you can go so because my container feels much more nurturing and safe and uh, held this time around I have a very good feeling that my experience is going to be different so I'm looking forward to sharing with you that if I feel called I don't know what's in store at all So I'm going into the experience uh, with a blank slate saying, you know, medicine, show me what I'm meant to be shown. So, yeah, that's exciting. But today we're talking about using psychedelics as a medicine tool for healing and deep growth and recovery and what that actually looks like in a therapy landscape in a way that's much more official because there's there's a whole organization called MAPS that is doing extensive research and studying on how we can start using this in a legal way. And we've got a review of the week that we want to share today. This comes from Manomus underscore Skull. Manomus Skull. And they say, as someone who doesn't stand people, I stand with five stars. Maddie is incredible. She's my go-to person for emotional support when I'm feeling lost in my life. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone has something to gain from listening to this podcast. I've heard her described as a walking permission slip, and it couldn't be more accurate. Since I began internalizing her teachings, I've renewed my sense of inner peace while I give myself permission to feel into my body and my emotions and create the space for myself to learn and grow. Much love. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you. Oh my goodness, those words are just washing over me like ooey gooey chocolate and I'm the marshmallow because I'm white and fluffy and I'm just sticking to this yummy chocolate because it's so delicious. So thank you for this adorable, kind, sweet, generous, loving review. If you have been listening to the podcast for a while and you want to support it, Leaving a review is an amazing way to do so. And you can do that on iTunes by clicking ratings and reviews. Uh, that's all I got to share today. If you want to get a free audiobook, the sponsor of today's show is Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com forward slash mind body musings. I suggest you get the book The Big Leap. I just finished it and I'm already listening to it a second time. I also suggest the book The Red Tent. Phenomenal. And the last book that I'll recommend for today is... The Wild Woman's Way by Michaela Baum. If you're interested in harmonizing that feminine energy of yours and finding new feminine rituals uh, that go beyond what the New Age world is teaching, but going into our ancestry, is a great book for that. That's all. Wow. Let's go do this. Let's go listen to this amazing conversation with Will Sue M.D.
so much for welcoming me into this beautiful space. Yeah, thanks for coming. And you said you, uh, there was a friend of mine that knew me, that someone had suggested. I was thinking of this today. Like as I was getting on the subway heading here, I was like, all right, how again did I get connected with Will? Yeah. And I can't remember. I know that someone originally recommended you to me to look into your work when I said, hey, I'm looking for something just new to go into because your specialty is not something we've talked about on the show before. Meaning like psychedelics? Yeah. Or okay. Yeah. We've never talked about psychedelics on the show. <laughs> like, so, so that, that right there really intrigued me. Cool. Um, but then I ended up listening to your interview that you did with someone else I've had on the show. And that would be, no, you're uh -huh. good. <laughs> no, I was like, I was noticing I was my, when I was exhaling through my nose that it was hitting the microphone, which we probably don't want. Oh, no, you're okay. It's okay? Yeah. All right. Excellent. Oh, no, it's, it's okay. okay. A little bit of breath. <laughs> when we hear the breath on the podcast, it just reminds us all Oh, nice. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I listened to the episode you did with Ruby Warrington, oh. who I also had on the show. Oh, she's wonderful. Yeah. We just messaged with her this week. Because I was actually like, yeah, I thanked her a lot because she was the... Uh, she may have been the first podcast or definitely the fi big first bigger. I mean, she had a, she has a, like a good sized following and then a yeah. lot came from actually, no, but first she had me do a live event with her last year in Williamsburg and that really, mm, at things the really soda thing she runs. Yeah. I think it was at club soda. That's club right. Soda. That's right. And it really just beautifully ballooned into many, many other things. So wow. I, I, I just, yeah, let her know this week how much I appreciated her Aww. her support. So yeah, I she's read wonderful. her book. It's so good. So, mm. uh, sober curious. I remember reading that. I think it, now it feels like this time last year. Mm. Yeah. Time yeah. flies. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I was just like, this is so like so well written, bringing to light a lot of the things that I typically don't. Do you drink? Um, very socially these days. Yeah, very yeah, socially. In the, the past, yeah, I definitely had. I, I used to go to it for. Uh, for escape for sure mm, yeah yeah so i'm i want to know the show's called mind body musings what are you musing about in life like what what's kind of new that has you really curious and intrigued that might be different from <laughs> what you normally are into yeah no a lot of things come to mind but i'm like how different do you actually want because we haven't uh we haven't gotten into it too much um yeah, to Go know deep. to know kind of where uh, how woo woo to get with your uh, with your uh, audience. I don't know a lot of things recently. It's interesting that you said you know getting into to my profession really psychedelics because it's become. I think most of my stuff that's out there is about psychedelics, but really in the last few months it's been really just about alignment is something that I like to say. And and what I mean by alignment is um, aligning our true self, our, our soul, our heart. Um, to this like material physical world that we're in and these mm. this human experience and so aligning yeah. the the again the the true self to our, our thoughts so are our thoughts aligned with with the true self or is our, our word the way we're speaking about in the world the way we're moving about the world the body also is all of that are we embodying essentially soul here as human beings and so that's all to say that, you know, I've started seeing psychedelics and other tools of wellness simply as tools to help us align something that we're here to do anyway. Mm. Um, so a lot of it recently has been, you know, in line with that, just thinking like, oh, interesting. So why am I even thinking about this? Like the fact that we're humans, we're here in bodies, like 
Like, like what is this experience that we're, we're all going through? And so um, the more I dove into that, like I've found even deeper connection with Eastern philosophy. I spent like all half the day yesterday at the Met, you know, looking at mm. all these statues of the Buddha and um, Bodhis uh, Bodhisattvas. I can't remember what they're called. Bodhisattvas. But, but really realizing that like, oh, this, this thing that I'm like really interested in that I'm curious about that seems to be linked to healing and wellness is something that humans have really been um, pondering and, and looking into for millennia, right? And so yeah. that that's to answer your question, just like really just the greater of question of why we're here and, and how do we yeah, make the most of this human experience? That's what's been on my mind lately. <laughs> that's a great answer. Yep. Just out of curiosity, is there a, a correlation between psychedelics and the Buddha? I mean, I, I happen to think so, actually. Interestingly, I was at Kripalu last week for a training, uh, my spiritual teacher, which is the fact that I'm even saying I have a spiritual teacher um, is a big deal for me. And, and it's 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 really honoring that, you know, my path through into Western medicine and to psychiatry really didn't honor almost any spirituality whatsoever. And so mm. and I ended up becoming more reconnecting to spirituality because I was raised Jehovah's Witness. So I, I think I was definitely spiritual as a kid, but then really shunned the religion, considered myself atheist agnostic, probably from 15, 16 to probably 36. Wow. 15, 16 to 36. Yeah. That's a long time. But really like the psychedelics were my re-entry really into healing, true healing, and kind of by default into spirituality again. Like I didn't expect to become spiritual. Like I never um, believed, you know, other than when I was super young, like that religion was some sort of path or an answer. But the more I look into myself again, this, this alignment of my soul with this human experience, it's like, I, I'm like, oh, whoa, this correlates with a lot of the stuff that these, you know, psychonauts is a term that we use for people that explore psychedelics a lot. That these guys, yeah, like, like astronauts? NAU, yeah. <laughs> like you that. know, in the 60s and 70s, Ram Das and Terrence McKenna, all these guys were talking about all these things and, oh, I'm having these similar experiences and, oh, wait, that correlates mm. with Buddhism. This is interesting. Or that correlates with Hinduism. Why is it that all these things seem to point to the same yeah, kind of fundamental human experience and, and what we all, yeah. what seems to matter the most to us. I watched a, so <clears throat> around the time that I did my first ayahuasca journey, mm -hmm. my only ayahuasca journey so far, mm. actually, I was watching all of these docu documentaries and videos about ayahuasca and uh, this culture does it and this is where we can find it in history books and such like that. And there was one video that I found and it was talking about not just ayahuasca, but also mushrooms that was correlating and I'm not saying I'm saying this on the podcast to make it sound like this is fact and this is what yeah. I believe but I found it fascinating it was making a correlation between in the bible when they were saying like they ate mana manna mm -hmm. yep yep and they they were doing all of this research around why manna is actually mushrooms, mm, mm -hmm. which I can't really quote anything else from that video, but I, I watched <laughs> the full thing through. It was like 30 minutes of talking about all this, all the research, why, when they were talking about that in the Bible, that the manna, breaking the bread or eating the manna in the morning, whatever it was, is yeah. actually mushrooms. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of that, actually. Yeah. And the Eleusinian mysteries also, um, which is a big part of uh, Christianity, like people also suspect that a psychedelic uh, fung fungi was being taken really at this mm. secret thing. I think it was in Greece. Um, but yeah, there there's, seems to be a lot of correlation, I think, between psychedelics and, and spirituality. For sure. So take us 
back into your history whenever you were around that period being agnostic and first yeah. getting into psychedelics. Yep. What was that first experience like for you and why did you go for it? Well, to me, it really built up over the course of time. So I was, when I'm 39 now. I was 33 um, when I was a second year psychiatry resident at Harvard. So I had finished all you know, my medical education, I went on to like what should have been my last step in theory to become a psychiatrist. I went to, you know, the best program in the country and okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to do, you know, the doctor thing. I'm going to become a professor. I'm going to do research in a lab and I'm going to develop new drugs. And so um, to, you know, to treat depression and anxiety. And so it, it really from that, I ended up, you know, at that time considered myself atheist agnostic. And I was really, you know, what I realized now is that I was continuing to jump through different hoops to thinking that I would find happiness. So, you know, after college, I was like, okay, if I just get into the a great medical school, I'll be happy. And then what I realized during medical school, it's like, oh, okay, if I keep jumping, if I finish that hoop, I just need to get into residency. Mm. But then I decided to do a PhD. And I'm like, okay, if I jump through that hoop, I'll get it. And then what I realized at the beginning of this training is that, oh my God, I'm in my early 30s. I don't think this thing is going to make me happy. I'm depressed. I was suicidal. I wanted to drop out. And I'm like, but what's left for me? And so it was really like this like crisis of life that was like, oh shit, what do I do now? Around 33. Around 33, which, you know, again, like I'd put, I think at that point it was like 15 years straight after high school of education to like wow. do this thing. And I was realizing I'm miserable. And it was around that time that my childhood best friend um, from, yeah, from childhood, he had kind of done the opposite of me where he um, was in a band after high school. He like worked with his dad installing windows and houses. And it wasn't until the financial crisis of 08 that he decided to go back to school. So he was like in college, his literally his like first or second year of college as I was going through this process. Mm. And so a friend of his introduced him to DMT. And so for months he was like, Will, you've got to like, oh, this is a psychedelic and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, these are dangerous. They're addictive. Let's not do that. Um, I was worried about him, but then eventually he told me how DMT um, is thought to be made in the brain and that's when it's released and then we um, we dream. And so that was like the first time I was like, this is interesting because while I was in therapy, I was doing dream work, dream analysis. And so those correlated the two where I was like, okay, this makes sense scientifically. Okay, well, maybe if we use these psychedelic things that help us dream, we can analyze the experience and then I could use these for therapy because mm -hmm. I was finding that helpful. Um, and so really, but it wasn't until about a year, year and a half later after he suggested I try this and I did tons of reading and research that I finally was able to have my own experiences later. Um, and I don't know, it's interesting. I think Terrence McKenna used to say something like, you know, if, if you do certain types of psychedelics or if you have a strong psychedelic experience, you can turn someone who's like atheist into a devotee of mm -hmm. Shiva, like immediately, essentially. And mm -hmm. I had an experience like that where basically it was like so, I was in this, yeah, this, this place that I don't even know how to put words on it. It's just, you know, I, I describe it as a place that we come from, a place that we will go to. And that consciousness, I, I don't consciousness to me is that that's a whole we could probably talk a, a whole a hour or two just on consciousness. Um, but no, I, I would I would call it. Yeah, I mean, or maybe that which is greater God, whatever we want to call it. But it was so real, like it, like it felt more real than real. I guess mm. that's another term. It that felt like must, a place you actually went to rather than just nothingness. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was a place that I, yeah. And that, but it was interesting because it was my first time in that space. I, it was familiar. I had been there before and it was waiting for me. And it was like more warmth mm. and loving than anything that I have ever experienced. And again, this is me like, again, depressed, suicidal, atheist, agnostic. I go to this place and I'm like, oh shit. Okay. We'll wow. throw all that out the window. Like this is, this is real. And really that, you know, has, um, really catapulted my yeah. own self-healing. Um, yeah, it was a, it was not something that I took very lightly and it was months and I did my research on, you know, where I was going and the people that were serving it. Mm -hmm. And, and that really, um, when it finally came down to, to actually having my own experience for the first time, I felt very safe or as safe as could be, you know, going into an experience that essentially had, I had never had before. And that I was kind of almost assured that, it was going to alter my consciousness beyond anything that has ever, you know, that I've ever experienced in life. So. Mm. <laughs> so if we were to talk about psychedelics in a way that someone who had never even heard about psychedelics before could understand, mm -hmm. what's the difference between psychedelics and say like other drugs that some people hear floating around like MDMA um, or like party type drugs? Like what do psychedelics do? That's a great question. And interestingly, I actually categorize MDMA within the category of psychedelics. Oh, um, you know, people will go back and forth in, in, in the, again, in the psychedelic community, they'll go, this is the definition or that's the definition. My favorite definition is that of Stan Groff, who's really considered like the psychiatric grandfather within psychedelics. He worked with Albert Hoffman, who discovered LSD when he was a, med, uh, a psychiatry resident. And at this point, Stan Groff, who's still alive, um, he's like in his 80s has done something like 4,500 legal LSD psychotherapy treatments himself wow. before it was all made illegal. Anyway, his definition of a psychedelic is something like nonspecific amplifier of the unconscious. And I, and I love that definition because it's, it's essentially, oh. it's addressing many things. It's saying it gives us access to something that we already have within us, that we already have access to anyway. It's just something that facilitates that. Um, and non, the non-specificity, I think, also honors that, you know, that's why your experience or my experience taking a psychedelic is going to feel completely different. Even if you or I took the same dose of the same batch of a psychedelic on, you know, two different weeks apart, we would have a very different experience, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, the, it's not honoring the molecule itself as, as, as giving you this experience. It's just something that's facilitating this process within yourself. And so, you know, the way I think about it is that, you know, there's some amount of experience that we have in the conscious state, and then we have kind of subconscious that we can dip into at different times, depending what's happening in our waking life or in our dream state, right? We can access on subconscious stuff. And then we have like a pool of unconscious things that really we need help with accessing. And so what I think about is like, if there's a filter between conscious subconscious and unconscious is that psychedelics kind of open those filters and allow like kind of what's underneath to pop up. And I think the higher doses or, or the, the stronger psychedelics allow more depth uh, in terms of what, what goes through that filter. But it, it's really, yeah, just kind of a, a pool of unconscious stuff under there, mm. whether it's emotions or memories or um, tactile experiences, etc. I have so many questions. Okay. <laughs> so how do you, how do you, um, do the type of work that you do? How do you, f how do you facilitate these kinds of experiences or journeys in your professional life? Um, yeah. So in my professional life right now, I use ketamine in my private practice. Um, and then the other experiences that I've had is also with MDMA as part of the MDMA, uh, for PTSD clinical trials. Whoa. So we had training through that. And I would say that overall, 
they're very similar. Meaning, you know, the way, you know, I get a lot of emails um, from people saying, oh, like I listen to this podcast and I want to do ketamine therapy. But really in the end, I don't, you know, no one ever walks in my door and I'm doing ketamine with them that first time. Mm-hmm. There are some practitioners that do that. And I, if anything, if anybody's willing to do that, I would actually probably say steer away because it's not, it's not a good setup. You know, I usually meet with people at least three or four times and then really talk about these kinds of things that we're talking about. What are you looking for? What's going on in your life? And I explain to them, you know, the way psychedelics work, you know, because a lot of people right now after Michael Pollan's book or reading um, articles or podcasts, everyone's like, oh, my God, this is like the silver bullet that's going to cure me. And I really want to set it up to people to be realistic because that's it's not what happens. And so but with the right preparation, I do think it's the most powerful tool that we have. Like I like to say that psychedelics are neither necessary nor sufficient for healing, but that they're the most powerful tool that we have mm. when used with correct preparation and, and, um, and support. Mm. And what so, is ketamine? And, and so ketamine is a, um, it's a medication that any doctor can prescribe right now. And it's really the um, most available, really the only available legal psychedelic that we have right now. So, and the reason why it kind of has, 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 bec- has been available is because ketamine initially was an anesthetic or it still is an anesthetic. Um, and it's probably the most, commonly used anesthetic in the western world um there's many reasons for that but it happens to have this this effect on people that is also opening up the unconscious and psychedelic and so it was like 15 20 years ago that there was an orthopedic surgeon that was doing a bunch of procedures and started noticing that there was a chunk of his population of patients who had depression and suicidality that were getting better after these orthopedic procedures that were being done with ketamine Mm. And so then it was finally correlated that ketamine was helping people with depression and suicidality. And so that started a whole string of research within psychiatry of ketamine for depression, which is why we're hearing about it right now. But ketamine, um, definitely at at really different doses and different um, modes of administration is an incredibly powerful psychedelic. Mm. That's a long-winded answer. (laughs) That's so good. I'm so curious. This is great. Yeah. Um, when you say preparation, what are some of the key things that you prepare people with? Like expectations was one of the things that you mentioned of making sure they don't think it's like this magic pill and understanding it's not even necessary. It's doing the work. Um, what are some other things like, like aftercare or just how you treat your body in between sessions that someone may do with you or anything else? It's all, yeah, it's, it's all of the above within that, you know? So I think if, if someone comes in, so most people coming to see me these days have never tried a psychedelic again, they're just really out there and they're curious and, and they just want to feel better. Right. So they're, they're, um, we kind of call them jokingly the pollinators. So people who who read Michael Pollan's book who are Mm. now for the first time interested, um, and they tend to be people who are not like already super spiritual or super religious. It's just kind of like your your average American person who, again, has, has not found relief in other. Um, Probably some medica- like, ma- sorry, uh-huh. no, like New Yorkers. Like imagine here we are on Madison Avenue where your office is. Like yeah. imagine you get some people who are on Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. That are seeking happiness. Yeah. Exactly. That's or just a relief of pain. And so really, you know, it, it's starting out with talking about what we've been talking about, like, you know, and, and honestly, back to what we started with, which is about alignment. It's like, okay, so we're here. And so how do we align our mind first to, to our hearts? So, um, I think of this, this concept that I think that I describe as, uh, true values versus perceived values. 
right? And so an example for me in the story that I've told you is that I was chasing perceived values, right? I was chasing faculty positions, degrees from prestigious universities, making X amount of money. They're things that were so ingrained in me by culture, by, by society, mm -hmm. by family, that I thought those were the things that I actually wanted in my life. But what I and most people really in the Western world right now are finding is that as we achieve those things, we're not actually finding happiness. Yeah. And so it's really noticing, okay, like, so what are my true values? Like, why am I really here? How do I, and how do I get through all the, the, the fogginess of what, what, again, family, culture, religion has really um, strayed from. So, you know, it's describing to people just that. So how do we, how is, does the mind become misaligned and how do we realign it? And that's like, usually, I mean, you know, for most people, that's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a big deal. And then for each person where we have to actually work our way around that, because these things are so, so ingrained that, that, you know, it, it takes a, a chunk of work just to do that. But say if, for instance, I'm working with someone for a few weeks, and that is just not really, um, um, you know, what am I trying to say? So, so, you know, I would want someone to be able to like, have that perspective and buy into that. To, to be able to then take the next step of actually doing, having a psychedelic experience for them. Um, How do you know when they've reached that place? I mean, you can just feel it. And interestingly, I mean, it's almost rare that I, that I don't get to that point with someone. Actually, I'm almost thinking, does it ever not happen? Uh, I think by nature, by the type of person that comes in and sees me, mm -hmm. and again, usually most people are coming to see me after they read something that I've written or a podcast. So I think they kind of get the gist of who I am beforehand yeah. and they'll... Um, but, you know, the reason why that's important is it's because it's saying, okay, I buy into this, you know, I, I'm living a life right now that is not aligned with the way I want to be living it. So it's taking ownership, basically. And it's also saying the, the, there's a, the issue is within me mm. and I can do something about it, you know, because that's a big thing, you know, as in, in comparison to saying the world is doing something to me and, yeah. and, um, yeah, and that's and that's the solution that that the world has to change, which is not something that I've I've gotten to the point where I can do, <laughs> meaning changing the world around people. So, and I imagine in, in the sessions, like we're in this really beautiful, very colorful <laughs> office. Um, <clears throat> I imagine that a lot of times when people take psychedelics, it's a very external experience where they're really like focusing on everything that's outward, mm. like beautiful trees or nature or friends that they're with, and then coming in and doing it in a professional atmosphere yeah. where you're being guided and in a session, you're really focusing on inward. Like yep. you're really feeling things, feeling the textures of your own heart and feeling the the crevices of your own, you know, internal caves and that instead of like this external world, which is a total focus shift yep. for most people who use or take psychedelics. Yeah. And so, yeah, this kind of gets back to what you were saying. So what else do we do to prepare? And so, um, yeah. And so a lot of people so who have done psychedelics or have read about psychedelics, um, a lot of the stuff that's out there is, is talking about doing recreational or non-intentional experiences. And so the experience in the office is much, much different, um, whether it's ketamine or MDMA through one of the clinical trials. So um, we always offer an eye, eye mask and there's always music. And so it's really the experience is meant to, to facilitate one going into oneself instead mm. of an external experience, as you were, as you were mentioning. Um, and so, you know, I kind of talked about the mind in terms of preparing the person in terms of, you know, okay, potentially rewriting the narrative of the mind. And so, um, you know, I also focus on the body and breathing and meditating because I think about like the body, um, 
holding holding trauma or holding the history of ourselves in, in many ways that is not narrative, meaning there isn't a memory associated with it. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Uh, there's an author called Bessel van der Kolk who wrote the, uh, uh, a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And he's just like one early example of a lot of people who are really honoring that, you know, the mind-body connection is a real one or psychosomatics is, a, is, is something real that's happening. And so the reason I'm throwing that in is because I think people can suffer in feel anxious or depressed and it's not necessarily correlated with a specific memory meaning and and so there's ways and techniques of preparing people for an experience or helping them during the experience um, to facilitate kind of the the move movement of trauma outside of the body that that again doesn't have to that may not happen through talk therapy and so that's Mm. getting into like breath work and meditation um, and really allowing people to move or to to verbalize if they need to during a psychedelic experience or cry. And really, even as something as simple as that, like I was talking to someone last week, again, a Wall Street person, actually, um, as you had mentioned, a guy, and and we were talking about these traumatic things that happen. And I asked him, I was like, well, how, when's like, when do you, do you let yourself cry? Like, when do you, he's like, only when I'm alone, you know, and this guy's again, Mm. in every other way on paper, incredibly successful. But he's like, yeah, I essentially don't allow myself to emote, you know, society, again, family, et cetera, has told me I'm not allowed to do that. And so that's part of the preparation, too, just being like, OK, well, it's OK. This is normal, like to, to be crying even, yeah, no matter how successful, no matter what your gender is, et cetera. And so meaning because you can have these really intense experiences come up during ketamine or MDMA or ayahuasca, but you can, you know at a certain level you can really fight it you know you can choose not to cry you can choose to not go through a certain um, experience that you're having on psychedelics Mm. Um, and so really helping people to to see that and navigate it when they're in it um, is kind of another big piece of preparation um so ayahuasca isn't something that you facilitate then i don't know i I had i've done the the one time that i did ayahuasca it was four nights in a row yeah wow yeah, it was four nights in a row. It was at a it was wow. at a center. It was all certified and everything, mm-hmm. and I felt like I was in good hands doing it that way. Um, I ended up not having a great experience mm. at all, and I've never really talked about it on the podcast. So this is kind of nice to be able to bring this in here because a lot of people ask me how it went, and uh, I think a big part of it for me was that at this center there were like I think it was 80 people yeah. 80 people there's a lot of people and my body just decided uh-uh like there's so much energy that's being released in others so we're not going yeah. to and I was frustrated because I was like damn it like I, I flew here I'm mm-hmm. taking this medicine I want it to work I hear other people throwing up like I'm ready to throw up like my yeah. body in all four nights nothing came out no purging mm. no no seeing anything or feeling anything and I was so frustrated yeah do you have any thoughts on the like, I mean, I, I, I just, this is a great opportunity for me to just ask. Like, Yeah. I mean, so interestingly, so I, I mean, we could, I mean, we may end up just talking about this the rest of the time. So interesting, even though I, I don't facilitate ayahuasca, I have, you know, a lot of my clients, if not most at this point have had their experiences. And so I have a lot of experience preparing people, but I've also had my own personal experiences with ayahuasca um, down in Peru twice or three times, uh, three different sets of experiences where I went down to Peru and then two in um, Costa Rica. And so I feel like I, I, I understand and, and know the experience very well. And, that, and that's another thing when people are get very interested in psychedelics. I think there's, 
you know, people talk about psychedelic assisted therapy, but I think ketamine therapy is very different than MDMA therapy is very different than ayahuasca. And so it's, it's really important, I think, to prepare and pick and choose like what's actually mm. best for me is, is, is there one of these that's better for, you know, PTSD or anxiety or depression? And I do think there is big differences between them, but I think the kind of research and clinical communities is just starting to, to, to tease that stuff out. But yeah, I mean, back to your experience, I mean, anything, you know, Another thing that, that I've, and I've spent a lot of time talking to Shipibo healers, and Shipibos are the, the indigenous community within the Peruvian Amazon. And, you know, 90% of the ayahuasca centers out there use Shipibo healers. Um, and I've ta- spent a lot of time talking to them, and the way it's being used right now as it's westernized is, looks nothing like what it's actually used like in their own communities. For instance, mm. the, the Shipibo healers are really plant medicine healers, and so they start with, like, dieting they call so they eat the plants that they're like they're essentially trying to build a spiritual connection with and it takes them at least 10 years to actually become an independent practitioner and they start with the plants that are lowest to the ground so like grasses etc and they eventually work themselves up to this like tree that's their like um really the most holy one for them which is called noya rao it's this beautiful tree i've actually seen one and it reminds me of avatar so like this tree it's massive it's tall it's gorgeous you won't find you find one and then there's isn't another one for hundreds of miles in the amazon but the beautiful thing the reason i mentioned avatar is when this tree drops its leaves it glows and they're they're bioluminescent so you go at night and this tree is just like surrounded by these glowing leaves And, and so ayahuasca is only one plant along that entire path of learning how to be a medicine healer but we've taken it and we've we said okay like this is this thing that's going to be the end-all be-all for us and it's not like that the other thing is that they really think about ayahuasca as almost like a an x-ray or an mri so when they use it in their communities really it's only the healer that takes the ayahuasca not the participant so they'll sit in front of the person and they give it, like ayahuasca gives the healer the vision to look within you Whoa. to say, this is what's going on. And let me give you this other plant medicine in the weeks to come so that you can heal this. So we're, we're not even using it anything like they use it. And that's like I said, it's, it's in its one on one. So this adding 20, 30, 40, 60 people is it's a, yeah, it's huge. And in that um, it, it's a big, big, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's like an, a misuse or a bad way, but it's definitely changing. We just have to honor that this is not the way they've been using it. I've also talked to the same healers and said, well, okay, well, you're telling me the story and we're sitting here at the center and you're serving it to me. And so they also say, yes, like it's, it's definitely still helpful. It is changing, but um, there's a lot of stuff that because of, you know, business and capitalism going into Mm. the, the healing field, of there's no doubt that, you know, having more people equals more profit, right? And, and there is a spiritual opening and energetic opening. And so, Back to your saying, like, I'm feeling all this stuff, but there's so much energy here. That totally makes sense to me. Like, like I have actually, I'm going to be going down to Peru in a couple of weeks. And I've, I've really set up for myself that really in the future, I'm only going to do it with either very small groups or one-on-one with the healers themselves. Because there's a depth at which I think when you have a room full of so many people with so many different struggles, or for a lot of people, it's their first time, it really impacts the energy of the group and you can only take it so far. Or if, you know, you know, the group as a whole is struggling with something that it impacts everybody. Mm -hmm. And so your experience wouldn't, is not um, that uncommon for me to hear about. And I would also say that, yeah, maybe it was a really, there was an intelligence within you consciously and, and, you know, perhaps unconsciously that was saying, this is not the time to let this out because, you know, it's not, 
kind of uh, spiritually or emotionally safe for me to let this out Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. There was a lot of emphasis before we did the ceremonies on what's probably going to happen also. Mm. So rather than like, let's all just lay down and and like set our own intentions and let's do a big intention ceremony and then go into the journey. It was like A might happen, B might happen. You might see C, you might feel D. Like all these expectations were being Mm. built of like what everyone that had come to the facility had seen before, what they experienced, like how they were healed, all these things. And so then I went in like having like 15 things that might happen. I might see an alien. I might feel the color, like a color I've never even yeah. seen before. And I'll be feeling it and embody it and then walk away like it. Like <laughs> all these things, like I might wrangle in the moon. And and then I lay down on, on here and I hear I just hear everyone else having these experiences. And then the comparison starts. Yeah. So I, there, I think on one level, there's most likely, I believe in my body's intelligence. I do mm-hmm. think that there was a part of my body that physically just like wrapped around itself and said like not here not now yeah but then also mentally there was there was some closure happening around frustration things not going the way that I wanted them to go yep so overall it was it was an interesting four days of that (laughs) and it took me to some places most likely I mean it was really during the day that I went to those places of unpacking like what's happening Mm. rather than at night yeah but I, l- I did learn, I did learn things. I learned about the way that I, I would feel best to be in ceremony doing any, any kind of plant medicine yep. moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So you had said, um, I'm just curious if you have a simple way to match the, the different types of medicine with what, cause you had said for depression, there's a different thing for anxiety. There's a different thing. Yep. So what do you recommend for the different symptoms? Um, uh, I'm just trying to think back to your story though, cause it was something that was coming up for me that, um, anyway, maybe I'll remember it later. Yeah, um, soon. but you know, you know, f- say on, w- you know, we, we talked about how, or we know that say your average American, you know, is Christian and doesn't have, say, a deep spiritual belief into reincarnation, for instance, or um, past life trauma, or that we can connect to dead relatives, etc. And so, you know, when I think about, like, say, medicines, plant medicines, or psychedelics that make, that are palatable to your average American, you know, I think of things like MDMA. MDMA to me is number one, right? Because MDMA, the way I like to say it, doesn't, it stays on the plane of this reality, meaning from this birth, to your, your current time. I think at certain doses or certain people, depending how open they are, can like connect to past lives or they have visual experiences on MDMA, but you're, you're the vast majority of people don't. Right. And And again, so if we have these people post Michael Pollan who are very interested in psychedelics, again, they just want to feel less depressed and less anxious. They don't care to like, um, you know, be vomiting and purging in the middle of the Amazon, taking ayahuasca, and then seeing this panther, and the panther converts into your great grandmother, and that <laughs> reflects this. And that, you know, again, that's just—it's a lot for someone who just wants to feel less anxious and less depressed. Mm. And so, to me, on that end of the spectrum of just again ease of just someone who wants to feel better is MDMA and then low dose ketamine. On the other end of the spectrum, you have ayahuasca, you have 5-MeO DMT, or you have a smoked version of of ayahuasca. Just regular it's called nndmt where you will have a spiritual experience for the most part depending on the set and setting if the dose is right etc and you know those experiences are incredibly beautiful i think they're very profound but you know in the beginning of my healing um you know i had had some of those powerful experiences and for me i was like 
I was like, oh my God, this is so divine. I'm, I believe in God and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm like, wait, I'm still, you know, feeling anxious most days. I'm depressed. I'm like losing my temper with my, my friends. Like I'm still being an asshole. Like how about I just like work on this, like, <laughs> you know, the stuff that's bothering me in everyday life. And so I kind of put that to the side and then was kind of really just continuing with psychotherapy. And um, I also have, have had ketamine experiences legally here in the United States, which, which were very profound. And then once that stuff, you know, everyday life just became really less painful or now, now I kind of rarely get, you know, I mean, I'll have a few hours here or there that I'm depressed or something, but I don't actually feel, you know, it's nothing like the weeks before that I used mm. to have. And it, naturally what happened for me is that as I started just feeling better with, again, this, this life that I have in front of me, then the bigger questions about spirituality came in. So then I started dipping back into ayahuasca, et cetera. And it became really about, yeah, consciousness, why we're here. What's, what's, what's my purpose as a, as a, as a, you know, human being, etc. And so, yeah, that's kind of to say that I think, yeah, ketamine MDMA, I think is really good to start with. And then, yeah, as people, you know, uh, do their journeys, what I've noticed is that almost all those people end up getting really interested in spirituality and, and their mm. meaning of life, etc. Mm. What are your, well, this is a different question. <laughs> I just, when you said like connecting deeper with your own purpose, yeah. what do you feel like your purpose is right now? Uh, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think what it, what it fe really feels like is that I'm, I'm here to help other people. Um, God, it's interesting because of this last ayahuasca retreat that I went to in Peru, they actually had us, um, write down our calling and work on our calling. And so, mm -hmm. so I would say my calling is that, that people, um, yeah, embody spirit like, and, 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 that could obviously be broken down in many different ways, but really that they embody the uniqueness that is within them and they're able to, to manifest that out in the world, whether it's their romantic life, friendships, uh, work life, etc. but to help people essentially live their life the way they want to live it um, mm. and to, to get through, yeah, again, a lot of the, the, the distractions that, that you know, we, we have in front of us based on our experiences. And so I see myself as... Yeah, being someone who can really facilitate that for people. Yeah. Distractions. <laughs> I've got one or two still left. Uh, what, what are they? <laughs> no, I've got, I mean, I've got, yeah, I, I still have a lot of things that I'm, I'm working through. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, you know, I think fear is a big one for me. Um, yeah, in, in certain specific aspects of things. Um, and I think this these stem from you know, religious, my religious upbringing in, in the Jehovah's Witness mm -hmm. Church. So I think, um, kind of why am I hesitating? <laughs> it, it's really say around like, like dating and sexual experiences mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine recently actually. So, and she's, she was raised Jehovah's Witness and it made a big difference talking to someone who was raised the same way because you're essentially taught literally that, you know, premarital sex, fantasy etc will take you to hell you know and that th these are the work of the devil and so we were talking about the mind body difference and so for me my mind knows that none of that is true right but so in some ways my body still holds the history of of, of that those sorts of teachings and so you know i i'm finding that in that that's an aspect of my life where i'm still i can hesitate or not live what I would call within my integrity or not say the things that I want to say to a woman because I'm like in the back of my mind, there's like some hesitation because of this history of, of the religion I was brought up in. 
Gosh. Yeah. Well, there, you got it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Because yeah. I, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to relate to that. Even if they're not Jehovah Witness, I was raised Baptist. Yeah. And it was very, very similar. Like, I always remember them talking about in sermons, like, stay out of the fireplace. Like, mm. this, the square of yeah. my tort, like, from my chest down to the top of my thighs is the fireplace. And, like, don't go into that because you'll get burned. <laughs> like, don't let anyone else touch it because they'll get burned. They'll die. They'll wow. go to hell. And you don't either. And yeah. I had the true love weights ring. So I wore that ring oh God, yeah. saying I was married to God until I was married to a man. And I had thought. So you stopped wearing it? <laughs> stopped wearing it long ago. I still have it because it's a beautiful ring. My yeah. used to be my mom's, her, her little pinky ring. Um, it was really pretty. But yeah, I, I, rem I remember, I have memories of like being in church and wearing mm. that ring on my finger and then yeah. seeing a cute guy in the church sitting in the pew and like me taking my ring off because I didn't want him to think I was married. <laughs> and then I would put it back on whenever I like would have lunch yeah. with my mom or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those beliefs are so deep in the body. And yeah. my past several years, the where the places that I've been called to go do my work in has been of course like s sexual tantric work. Mm. Like that's where I'm starting mostly energetics. So like feeling sexuality through eye gazing mm. through eye contact like mm. that's been so deep for me and wow. in some ways that's been how I've 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 healed in a way my body can handle because the body's keeping the score yeah and if it's like all oh, close off like let's just too much exactly for me. yeah too much yep. for me and not to say that's exactly where I want to be but that does feel like the edge next for me is mm. like being more liberated in my sexuality yep. And I feel too like the body keeping the score around that. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just having a couple client calls and both of those women were raised Christians. Same thing. Like pleasure is a bad word. Yeah. Like female pleasure, like owning your pleasure, being caught in sex shops, bad, bad, bad thing. And like yeah. just feeling like their parents are watching them from around the corner. It's just... It's so wild how that is the mentality that is so seared into so many of us here yeah. in the Western Hemisphere, whereas yeah. around other places in the world, so much liberation yeah. exists. Absolutely. And this is a huge one. You're right. And it's interesting because I, yeah, it's, this isn't just a Jehovah's Witness thing. It's definitely a, a Christian culture thing, which which we're yeah, very much in. And, and related to the body and also the question of how to select a psychedelic, that is a place that I have found um, a huge source of healing um, of the body is ayahuasca, which I don't feel is as um, easily present with MDMA or ketamine, for instance. Like you mm -hmm. were talking about like hearing and watching people around you vomit. Um, and I like to think of it as purging. You know, mm -hmm. and I think the in, in purging, I think of as like the removal of the body of these traumas, the memory, the energy, and, and really letting it move through because it kind of stays stuck within us in, in, in the fascia, which I'll just throw that out there just in <laughs> case people are interested. I mean, that we can talk another mm -hmm. few hours about itself, but, but there is a way, and, and ayahuasca seems to be very unique in that if it's, if one prepares well and knows how to work with the medicine, that really you can remove these traumas. And I have not found another tool that is as powerful as ayahuasca. Um, and so, you know, and, and that's where the preparation is really important. I would say there's only two centers really in the world that I recommend that I think really understand ayahuasca healing of all the ones that are out there. Um, because it's also just because you take ayahuasca, again, doesn't mean that you're going to have a purging experience where you will remove this from the body. Mm. Or sometimes if you don't, if you're not actually connecting the purging with 
the experience that you're having, you could purge and actually not move the stuff out of the body. Because you don't like believe it. You don't or, or it's not connected. Like it, it just mm. becomes this, you can purge and just suffer. A lot of people like hate the purging or there's some people out there right now that are adding other medicines to ayahuasca to try to limit the purging. Or there's like this pharmaceutical company right now that's working on a molecule to try to remove the physical aspects, they said, of of the DMT experience. Mm. The DMT is the, the psychedelic that's in ayahuasca to try to like get get rid of that. But I'm like, no, 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 let's not do that. Like that's looking at it very Western. Again, being just a mind culture. Like again, let, let's heal the mm. mind and we're okay. But it's like, no, yeah. the physical aspect is very important. And so, um, yeah, again, that, that gets into to body stuff, which I think is really, really important. Um, what are the centers that you recommend? So one is called Soltara, which is in Costa Rica. I have a friend who, who you may even, you know, Hallie Rose, Rosenberg or Rosebud? I'm forgetting. She like is Hallie? there right now. She, Hallie, mm-hmm. she has a podcast too. Okay. She's there uh, like interviewing people for her podcast or for them. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what she's doing, but I guess you don't know. Hi, Hallie. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, no, I've been down there twice and they're there to me, I think is like, they're already getting, they've only been open like a year, but um, I'm sure they're going to, most wow. of their retreats are going to be full very soon, but they, I think are the most complete c- center beginning to end. Getting there is easy. They do a full medical the, responsible check and they have a doctor on call. It's also very clean. And so, you know, nice flushing toilets and warm showers, mm. which I think, mm. you know, again, for someone who, you know, yeah. coming from, from the United States, I think it's, it's important to not Again, to make things as easy as possible, uh, your first time doing this. And the other place is called Niwe Rao Shobo, which is the spelling I can give you later if you're interested. But that one's in Peru. And that one I would I think of as almost like taking it to the next level. You can do plant diets there. So not just drinking ayahuasca, but you can kind of build connections with other plants and stuff. Oh, and so, that's interesting. Um, and that one I kind of recommend to, to people if I've worked with them and they've gone to, say, uh, the center in Costa Rica, and then they want to kind of take their healing to another level. Um, I, I asked them to check that one out. Mm. So what do you think about people who are like, I love shrooms. I'm going to start hosting my own shroom parties and inviting <laughs> my friends over and doing ceremonies. Do you think that's pretty irresponsible? It depends. I mean, I, I think about it as, I don't know, I think of like five different uses for psychedelics, you know, I, and what we're talking about, I put in, in the, the category of healing. I also think psychedelics can legitimately be used for recreation. I think they could also be used for spiritual development, enlightenment. Um, I think of them as also tools for um, um, like human potential. So Silicon Valley, how can I think through ideas and develop mm, new creativity? creativity I like that. And then four is people use it as an escape, right? So yeah. basically to not be in touch. And I think any of those are, again, they're, they're uses that exist. I just think people should be clear when they're going into it, what they're doing and what they're providing for people. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, you know, meaning if, if people get together intentionally with a group of friends and they're like, every week we're just going to meet, say, for two or three hours on a Sunday night. Um, and we're just going to, you know, we're going to stay, we're not going to drink. We're just going to get together and talk, you know, about what's going on in life and be authentic with each other. And say then once a month during that or once every two months, we do something like MDMA together. For instance, that's, that's something I think that can be incredibly powerful and um, very intentional and has the healing potential. You know, but I think that's not the way most people are doing mm-hmm. it right now. Um, so I really, you know, education of the public is really important to me in terms of the unfolding of psychedelics. Because um, it used to be like one big community that was like very heart centered. And now you've got, you know, 
pharma companies that have already come in, uh, big money from from the marijuana um, industries coming in. And so the, it's starting to kind of just take a form of its own. And so, um, again, they're powerful tools, but to, to really have them work, we need to know how to use them. Respect them. Like, that's really what I'm getting from a lot of this, yeah. is just respecting the lineage, respecting mm-hmm. the the unfolding of the process, respecting yeah. the, the care that needs to go into doing all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, respecting the plants, just yeah. respecting all of it. Yeah. <sighs> is there any <laughs> last thing that you'd like to share, maybe about your sessions, how people can can uh, touch base with you and, and work with you moving forward from here? Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my website is just yeah, my name, willcumd.com, uh, and I have like a, an Instagram account that I keep kind of public for, for education and that sort of thing. So either of those two places, but yeah, but I'll be moving to Southern California, yeah. Los Angeles uh, wow. by, by 2020. And so. so people can work with you now from Los Angeles by coming into your office there. Yeah, um, my, my practice is generally full, but um, in 2020, I'm going to be doing more workshops, um, retreats. Um, so I'm really mm. moving into a space of, of being able to try to help more people because I this year was very beautiful for me. Um, but it's also, I, I tend to be full because I see people weekly. And so... Um, that feels so abundant. Like, <laughs> well, my practice is full, you know, like yeah. it just feels so good. Yeah, it feels really good. And, and, and so, but I've also learned to, to see, okay, well, this is what is being put in front of me. This is mm. what the universe is, is saying. So I have too many people right now asking to be my clients that I can't meet the demand or say practitioners that want to learn how to do and how to work with psychedelics. And so I'm trying to like think of, okay, how do I structure my life to meet that need? And so that's been... Uh, moving into workshops and retreats now um, to, mm. to be able to impact more people and then maybe perhaps also throwing training in there for for professionals Amazing. that want to learn how to use this stuff. 2020 so, yeah, is going to be a good year. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, good things are coming. So I'll make sure that I have the Instagram and the link to your website and all of the show notes that we talked about this at maddymoon.com forward slash will dash Sue, which is S-I-U. Yes. On your website. And the transcripts will be there. So everything will be typed out. I'm so stoked about these transcripts. I've never done transcripts before and I just think it's a really cool thing. Have a whole conversation typed out. Awesome. So before we wrap up, we have one last thing. And that is the divine deep dive round. Okay. Where we ask deep questions in a divine fast way. All right. <laughs> so question number Fun. one. Uh-huh. If you were an inanimate object, what would you be and why? Um, so you deep dive fast. I would mm-hmm. be a plant, a cactus. I knew you were going to say that. I knew <laughs> a cactus. Swear to God, I was just thinking like a really? crazy. But huh. isn't a cactus alive? Yeah. See, see, the, the, yeah. You're, that's why I'm like, uh, you're talking to this person who's really into consciousness. Maybe I you'd think be almost a like cactus anything. pot. A no. pot? I mean, yeah. I guess if it's a, so, if you could hold the cactus. If I could design it, and it's like a custom-made, totally. like really, like yeah, healing look. Okay, I'll take it. What's the best investment you've made in the past year under ten thousand uh, dollars? Um, in, into myself, investment into my own. What healing, was the whether investment? It's, a, it's really, yeah. It could, in the last year my own psychotherapy Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) what archetype any archetype the jester the jester i like that (laughs) (laughs) you didn't even need me to finish my question (laughs) did it answer it what did i answer your question no yeah you did it's perfect um uh who do you consider to be your teacher um right now it's this man named ron young who um it's interesting uh yeah he's my spiritual teacher and uh Mm. Yeah, when I think of like legit 
like my, my greatest teacher. So he's a guy who has a website that was made in like, looks like it was made in the nineties. He has no social media. He wears like dad jeans and like t-shirts. And this guy is just like the least assuming person, but the most powerful human I've ever Mm. encountered. So yeah, he's providing me lots of gifts. (laughs) My next question is, do you take off your necklaces every night or do you leave them on? What do you think? (sighs) (laughs) I think you take them off every night. Um, I don't. You don't. You leave them on. You shower with them. Everything. 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 How many are you wearing? Four. Um, The rest of my jewelry I take off except my nose rings. Um, Yeah, four. Three are from my travels and one I just started wearing recently. So this is my father's before he passed away. Um, So he left it to me, but I just started wearing it about a month ago. Wow. Because it has, I mean, it's gold and there's a lot about allowing myself to have gifts. Like we were talking about the... Yeah, the mm. impact of religion and stuff. So I just actually started allowing myself to wear gold. And so that mm. this is a very meaningful piece to me because he always used to wear it. I so. really like it. I, I like that there's it pops. It adds a little something to the other like, <laughs> earthy feel. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, <sighs> they, they, they always stay with me for sure. Okay, two more questions. Okay. What is one book everyone needs to go out and buy right now? Ooh, I'm going to say... Oh God, there's three. Um, if I say one, uh, you Eastern can say three. Okay, Eastern Body, Western Mind. I think is to to if anyone's looking at doing their own healing. The and I'm a really bad reader in general, but so I read The Alchemist, which most people mm. have read. But I this is like two weeks ago, and I oh, read it wow. in like two days, and it's the first time in like two decades that I've read. Like I've been so excited about something. So to me, it just you know most people have told me, oh, I read that in high school, but right now as I'm doing my you know, continuing my spiritual journey just meant a lot to, to read something like that. And the third one is, is a book called Conversations with God. Mm. I'm not sure if you've read it or heard about mm-hmm. it, but that's been one of the most powerful things I've read in the last few years. Do so. you read it every day? Isn't it one of those that it's like you, it's a new day? Um, type thing? Not that, so I listen to the audio book, mm. which is great because, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just so full of uh, just enlightenment and knowledge, but yeah, God takes the form of both a man and a woman in the in the mm, book, mm, and so mm, mm. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Being able to to even hear, and they switch back and forth between a man's voice and a woman's voice in the audio book. So uh, I, healing. yeah, I've, I've gone like two or three times to that thing. It's it's very beautiful. I love when people are like, "Oh my goddess," or they say they just say something like they prayed to God. She was said blah, blah. She said blah. blah. <laughs> uh, I've started doing that more and more this year, and it just feels so good because God definitely, absolutely, a hundred percent is. Like, well, non-gendered, but exactly, like yeah. hearing she more feels, yes, we need to move in that direction. Yep. Absolutely. She's so powerful. We love mm-hmm. you, goddess. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to the Mind Body Musings podcast and sharing all of this like really, really insightful, creative, informative information with my audience and with me. And I can't wait to, to follow along your journey and what happens in California. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. It's an honor. Everyone, like I said, you can go head on over to the show notes, maddiemoon.com. You can get the transcripts. You can get all of the links we talked about, including the links to the books he mentioned. And let us know what you thought about this episode by leaving a comment on the show notes or heading on over to Instagram. We will see you next week for another episode. Thank you.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.